All right, go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Now this afternoon, Derek Starr go to Bridgepoint for their service. They don't hardly bring their Bibles to service. So what he's done, his scriptures he's going to preach today, he's got them on printed off and he's going to pass them out. And they'll have definitely have the scriptures with them today. I think that's a good, good deal. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 13. Well, let's start in verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. And wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. I want to concentrate on verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. The altar we have, those that are still serving the tabernacle and religion like that have no rights. They have nothing to do with the altar that we have. My st statement is this. I've preached this before, but you don't ever hear it preached anywhere. We have an altar, and it's not right down here in front of the pulpit. We don't have one down here. So, well, why don't you? Everybody else does. Uh, we, wanna, we want our, our services to be scriptural. And we have no business with an altar down here. And you hear preachers saying, Come to the old-fashioned altar. Ever hear that? Come to the old-fashioned altar. Well, the truth of the matter is this. Before the 1830s, you couldn't find any such thing in a Baptist church. Most services now, they'll have an hour of singing, 10 minutes of preaching and 30 minutes of giving an invitation. Begging and chorusing people to come down front. That's how they go. And if you don't have that so-called invitation, you're, you're strange. No, they're the ones that's strange. That's been added. Jesus didn't put it there. The early churches did not have such a monstrosity. About 150 years ago, I don't know, maybe longer than that, 
Uh, you ever hear of Charles Finney? He's the one that devised the sawdust trail. If you, you can get all of his writings, they're in print and you can pull them up on the internet. He's a rank heretic. I mean a rank heretic. And he's the one that invented that. Well, you might know by what he believed. That's what, that was the right outgrowth of what he believed. He denied total depravity. He denied that man was dead in trespasses and sins. He thought he had the ability to spark that fire in you. Like all Armenians do. Well, then after him you had Billy Sunday. Uh, and I don't know what he believed. He just, he picked it up on the, on the fly, I think. And he did the same thing. But since then, many of these things have developed, such as uh, the mourner's bench. You ever hear that? That's down front uh, with that altar. And uh, praying through. You ever hear that? Healings, visions, and all that, they picked up all that stuff. Well, uh, and then those slick invitations that have become more important than the gospel itself. They can handle not preaching much, but they can't handle not having a 30 verses of just as I am. And then Billy Graham and all these others have picked that up. Because that's how they justify their their doings, what they do. You see, you couldn't, you wouldn't have those big uh, Billy Graham meetings if they didn't have them pouring forth at the end of the service. That's why they psychologically uh, train people to have those, and that's what they do. I know for a fact that's what they do. Anyway. So when somebody says, come to the old-fashioned altar, here's what you need to ask them. What's that mean? What's, what's that mean, an altar? Well, if you look it up in the Hebrew, Mizbiach. Uh, and if you look it up in the Greek, it's Thusiasterion. Y'all remember those words now. <laughs> In both cases, you know what they mean? A place of bloody animal slaughter. It's a bloody sacrifice. Well, yes indeed, they had an altar in the tabernacle and in the temple. And all of those sacrifices, all of those animal slaughters, as long as they were done properly according to scripture, they were looking forward to the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins. While we're in Hebrews, look over Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, 
Now what that means, almost all things. There was no sacrifice allowed for sins of presumption. And without shedding of blood is no remission. And it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, that is, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, in the temple. It had to be done every year on the Day of Atonement. The blood of others, animal sacrifices. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, that's our time, back even back then, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, one offering. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. You notice the emphasis is on once there. And on the animal sacrifices before Christ came was on every year it had to be, it had to be done over and over and over again. Why did it have to be done over and over again? Because it wasn't effective except for Temporarily, as they did it according to the word of God. <coughs> but when Jesus Christ, they all looked forward to when Christ came. Now when Christ came, and as uh, Brother James uh, brought his devotion this morning, Jesus Christ, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He earned perfect righteousness under the law of God, and then he went to the cross of Calvary. He opened not his mouth because he was made to be sin as you prayed. He was made to be sin for us and he knew no sin. So he did not sin. Therefore he fulfilled the law of God. And if you just say that Christ, that he was God, he could not sin. You just wipe out his earthly ministry, his humanity, or the purpose of his humanity. He came to be a man, to be a human being, to be our kinsman redeemer, and as our kinsman redeemer, he subjected himself to the law of God from the get-go, and he kept the law, every jot and every tittle, he did not sin. He chose to not sin. And if he could not sin, he could not be tempted. And a lot of these preachers, I mean, they, they act like they want to get all hot over this. I get hot with them because what they're doing is denying the humanity of Christ. And I'm not sure if they really do that, they know who Christ is or what his purpose is. But anyway, uh, once, there's the emphasis there in Hebrews 9. 
is once. Now, it's a place of slaughter, a place of burning. Now, where did Charles Finney's altar really come from? Well, he himself was a Presbyterian. That he did not believe the doctor, the Westminster Confession. He fought it all, all the way, but he had a lot of Catholicism in him. I'm going to go through this. We'll get back on this. I'm going to tell you where this thing, an altar in a Baptist church or any other kind of church, it did not come from the Scripture. It came from Roman Catholicism. Now, I've got this information from Lorraine Bettner in his book on Roman Catholicism, best book I know available on it. Now, the Mass, M-A-S-S, even Catholics don't know where that word came from. You ask Catholic priests where that word came from, they don't know. I can tell you, but they don't know. It actually came from a scriptural practice in Baptist churches. Sending away people that weren't qualified to take the Lord's Supper. Mitere in the Latin. Send them away. That's what that meant. Anyway, but they've just destroyed it. But that's where the word math. It has no other source. That's where it came from. I want to read this to you. I think you should know it. Because people tend, and it's going to get worse. Because like you was talking about this morning, I mean, you know, the Pope kind of joined in with that king coronation in England. There's the Catholic Church going back to England. Well, that hadn't been done since King Henry VIII back in the 1500s. They'd been at war and everything else. And now all of a sudden the Pope is warmed up to the king and the king is warmed up to the Pope. Guess what? They're all getting back. You think, well, I'd, that one world church, one world government, it's coming around, folks. And I'll tell you that Billy Graham and many Baptists are doing their part to help with it. Anyway, listen to this from the Mass. Catholics probably don't even know much about this. They really don't. You say, well, what's it have to do with this? It's everything. I'm showing you. I'm showing you where this thing came from that's in Baptist churches and most other churches. Now, look. The New York Catechism. Well, now, that's not a bad word. Catechism is not. Uh, matter of fact, early believers were called catechumens, learners. And a catechism is a group of questions and answers to teach. We used to, used to have them. Ashton Avenue Bookstore used to sell them. A little booklets that Charles Spurgeon had authored. Baptist Catechism. You remember that? There had been some stuff added in the back of it. That, but anyway, <coughs> ask a question. Uh, how, how big is God or something? Well, he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. And so the, you ask a question and then give the answer. 
as a system of teaching. Nothing wrong with that. But they've got this, a New York Catechism says, quote, now listen to this carefully. Jesus Christ gave us the sacrifice of the mass to leave to his church a visible sacrifice which continues his sacrifice on the cross until the end of time. So the mass that they, when they have a service anywhere all over the world, I don't know how many masses are formed, performed all over the world every day, especially on Sunday. There's bukus of them, and they're the same. They're all the same. Now here is, the mass is the same sacrifice as the sacrifice of the cross. Now, what have they done right there? They have honed in on what Christ said, the word of God says, that he entered in once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now they say that what they've got, and they, they created this, that the, it's the same thing as what Christ did. That's what they said. Holy Communion, that's what they're calling the Mass, is the receiving of the body and blood of Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread and wine. Now that came from the New York Catechism, which is a authoritative. Now the creed of Pope Pius IV now, these names of these popes, they are not their names. These are assumed names. Way back, you had the line of the innocents. And boy, I'll tell you what, they were about as guilty as any human being could be. Pious. Piety is living a godly life, living without sin. This is Pope Pious. I guess he's got a little red slippers on. He's pious. And this is one of the official creeds of the Roman Catholic Church. It says, quote, I profess that in the Mass is offered to God a true, proper, and propitiatory sacrifice. That is a sacrifice which satisfies the justice of God and so offsets the penalty for sin. For the living and the dead, and that in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist, there is truly, really, and substantially the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that there is a conversion of the whole substance of the bread into the body and of the whole substance of the wine into the blood, which the Catholic Church calls transubstantiation. Now you're talking about taking a piece of bread and a jigger of wine and him saying his holy words over it and turned it into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't believe that. There's hundreds of millions of them that'll, that'll kill you over that. And they have killed many Baptists over that through the years. The Council of Trent declared, now this was in 
uh, after the Reformation began in the 16th century, the sacrifice, this is a quote now, in the Mass is identical with the sacrifice of the cross. Inasmuch as Jesus Christ is a priest and victim both, the only difference lies in the manner of offering, which is bloody upon the cross and bloodless on our altars. John O'Brien, whose books are widely read in Catholics, amongst Catholics, quote, the mass with its colorful vestments and vivid ceremonies is a dramatic reenactment in an unbloody manner of the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary, unquote. Now, what they're doing, see, you can watch this on television. There's a Roman Catholic channel on, on cable. And you can watch him doing this. And that's what they do in their mass. They're performing a drama. They're supposedly dramatizing, acting out the whole Via Dolorosa and all that, the cross. And here's what they do. Now listen to this now. This is what that priest does. He makes the sign of the cross 16 times. Turns toward the congregation six times. Lifts his eyes to heaven 11 times. Kisses the altar eight times. Folds his hands four times. Strikes his breast ten times. Bows his head twenty-one times. Genuflex, that's bending the knee, eight times. <coughs> Bows his shoulders seven times. Blesses the altar with the sign of the cross thirty times. Lays his hands flat on the altar 29 times. Prays secretly 11 times. Prays aloud 13 times. Takes the bread and wine and turns it into the body and blood of Christ. He says, hoc es corpus meus. Do you know where the old magicians used to say, hocus pocus. You know where that comes from? Right there. When I was in, in Europe, in Rome, we were in the Vatican, St. Peter's Cathedral on a Saturday afternoon. Big crowd. People said, what are we waiting on? I said, we're waiting on the magic show. <laughs> they, they cautioned me to calm down a little bit. About got kicked out of there. That's what they were waiting on. That's when that dude's going to turn 
take the bread and wine turned into the body and blood of Christ. That's your magic show. Hawkins Corporal Mayos. This is the body of Christ. <laughs> he goes to and fro walking 20 times. And many other numerous acts. Then he's got his highly colored robes, the candles, the bells, incense, music, and that's all in Latin. You can watch it. You can watch it on television, or you can watch it on Christmas Eve. Uh, I guess on Easter too. I'd like to read all this. I don't have time to do it. I just read that to you, Christ once for all. Now, on the, in the Roman Catholic Catechism of Christian Doctrine, the question is asked, is the Holy Mass one and the same sacrifice with that of the cross? And here's the answer. Quote, the Holy Mass is one and the same sacrifice with that of the cross. Inasmuch as Christ, who offered himself a bleeding victim, on the cross to his heavenly father, continues to offer himself in an unbloody manner on the altar through the ministry of his priest, unquote. And then, this is from uh, the same catechism. Quote, the Holy Mass is a sacrifice of the body and blood of Jesus Christ really present, really present on the altar under the appearance of of bread and wine, and offered to God for the living and the dead. Those are people in purgatory, unquote. The doctor, doctrine of transubstantiation, the power of the priest, is clearly stated by Ligori in the following words, quote, <clears throat> With regard to the power of the priest over the real body of Christ, it is of faith that when they pronounce the words of consecration, the incarnate God has obliged himself to obey the priest and come into their hands under the sacramental appearance of bread and wine. You think this is not blasphemous? We are struck with wonder when we find that in obedience to the words of the priest, hocus corpus meum, this is my body, God himself descends on the altar. That he comes whenever they call him. And as often as they call him. And places himself in their hands even though they should be his enemies. And after having come he remains entirely at their disposal. And they move him as they please from one place to another. They may, if they wish, shut him up in the tabernacle at a little building there, a little box. Or expose him on the altar. Or carry him outside the church. They may, <coughs> if they choose, eat his flesh. And give him for the food of others. Besides, the power of the priest surpasses that of the Blessed Virgin because she cannot absolve a Catholic 
from even the smallest sin, unquote, that comes from the dignity and duties of the priest. The priest supposedly is endowed with power by the bishop at the time of his ordination to change the bread and wine into the literal living body and blood of Christ, which is then known as the host, and that's what host means, a sacrifice. And so to bring him down upon the altar, and that body is said <coughs> to be complete in all its parts, <coughs> down to the last eyelash and toenail. How it can exist in thousands of places, and its full proportions, even in a small piece of bread, is not explained, but is taken on faith as a miracle. Now, I guess that's why they can have Santa Claus going all over the world on Christmas night, Christmas Eve night. Because their God, they can handle their God. They literally do. And they bring him down when they want him down. And they send him back. They put him away if they want to. They bring him out if they want to. You ever heard such, such blasphemy? And hundreds of millions of people in this world acquiesce to every bit of that. Well, Genesis 8, verse 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living, everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Remember that. Because you hear people, oh, I know it said, well, we're not going to have the seasons anymore. No, that's not what God said. But what I wanted to point out to you, in the new world, the post-flood world, the first law was whoso shed of man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, capital punishment. The first altar was built by, Je by uh, Genesis 8 by Noah. And what did he do on that altar? He offered every clean beast and every clean fowl offered burnt offerings on the altar. It means bloody. Place of bloody sacrifice of animals. Sacrifices to God. There's an altar. Look at Genesis 12. In verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And then uh, you see what he did. He cut up the offerings and he offered bloody sacrifices to God. And that's the first in the promised land. 
And then look at Exodus 27. Verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar of sheetum wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it. There you have the first in the tabernacle. And that altar, that brazen altar, when you came in the east gate of the tabernacle courtyard, there was that brazen altar, the first thing you came to. And what was done there? It was a place of bloody sacrifice, just as the others were. Now I'm going to ask you, that's all you can find out about an altar in the Old Testament. That's all you can find out about an altar in the New Testament until you come to the cross of Calvary. And there are no more altars except Christ is our altar. And he was offered once for all. Now what stretch of the imagination could you devise such a thing To bring that into a Baptist church building. What mind could have done that? Hold over from Roman Catholicism. That's the only thing. And there's Charles Finney bringing it in. And everybody now, they hate me over this. I've had Baptist preachers that refused to shake my hand when I preached this. And unto this day, they still haven't. And I haven't lost an instant of sleep over it. Don't bother me a bit. It just makes me know who I'm dealing with, that's all. Why would you hate me over this when I'm telling you the absolute truth of an altar, and these quotes I've given, it's from their writings. I didn't write that. I'll make you copies of that. Anybody wants that. And you know, really, people ought to look at that. How many Catholics do you know? They don't know that. How will they ever know it if we don't tell them? Because they sure won't find it out from other Baptist preachers. Because they're trying to get everybody down to their altar. Now. No blood, no altar. Churches have no place of blood. We sing about the blood. We praise the Lord for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That blood that did bring remission from our sins. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. <coughs> so you're going to preach the gospel, brother? I am preaching. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? We have 
no need for a place of blood. Jesus Christ, as you see the high priest on the day of atonement, he took the blood of the offering in the basin and took it and went as he sprinkled it over everything and then took it into the Holy of Holies and there he put it on the mercy seat in heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the day that he died. He didn't wait three days and three nights to do that. Preachers, I waited to know he didn't wait till the resurrection. He didn't wait to let blood got cold. When he went into the Holy of Holies in heaven and he put his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, it was still hot with the heat of life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Our altar is the cross that Jesus died on. We preach about the blood. We preach about the cross. We don't have a play about the cross. Christ is the continuing altar. Then they, now we're going to give the altar call. Anybody ever heard of that? Now we're going to give the altar call. Where'd they get that? Do you see an altar call in the scriptures anywhere? There's not, there's not even an invitation in scriptures. What they call an invitation. Where'd all that come from? Charles Finney, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. And it has been a part of church life now since, since all of that. How can they have an altar call when it's contrary to the scriptures? It is. I don't have an altar call. My goodness. What altar? What altar are you talking about? No altar call. The Bible says preach the gospel. Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What can we do about people being saved? We can preach the gospel to them. And that's all. We can't devise some way to coerce them. If you read, I read quite a bit of what Charles Finney believed. He thought that by the only the only sins that men are guilty of is what they actually do. He didn't believe that there was a sinful nature. He didn't believe what Paul said, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespassing. He didn't believe that. And he's the one that people are following after with this altar call thing. Rank heretic. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine commandments of men. Now what our Lord said? Commandments, traditions, vain traditions of recent origin. We can't devise something new to do today. We can't, we can't devise that at all. We have, we have no legislative, creative abilities. In the service of God, we've got our marching orders. I think it's, it's 
confusing to a lot of people. Anything which is substituted for Jesus Christ and his work of redemption is idolatrous and it's blasphemous. The Bible and the doctrines of the Bible are attacked because they're interfering with what they're wanting to do. That's why men, women, don't like our kind of religion. Because we go straight from the book. And they don't. Now you, you get them all to say things like, Oh, sure, we believe the Bible's the word of God. But now, not that, not that part. Do you establish your doctrine and practice in the word of God? Ask them that. Well, yeah, yeah, kind of. What about absolutely? There's where we need to be. Get people to come down front. I give people time if they want to. To come and confess the Lord. But I don't say come down here and get saved. Come down here to the altar. And get saved. There's no place of salvation. Wherever you are. You repent and believe the gospel. And you're saved. Amen. Saved for eternity. And you need to confess it before a church. But you're not coming down there to get saved. And that's what people think. You must come to Christ, not to me. That's why we preach the cross. We don't display it. We don't revere it. I've noticed so many times. It's almost about everybody you see on television. <coughs> Athletes and singers and stars, they've all got a cross hanging on, on their necklace, on a chain. What do, they, what do they think that's doing? You don't hear them preaching the cross. But you see them wearing a cross. Well, that's not the same thing. Anyway, you must come to Christ. Let me ask you this. Have you come to Christ and him on the cross? That's what you have to do. As Brother Brown said in his lesson, one of the roughest of sins to give up is the sin of religion. Look what the song says. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. When you come to Christ, the narrow way, you know what a turnstile is. 
I haven't been through one years, but you go to, I don't know, I guess the football stadium, they've got them. I've got them a lot of places that you have to go through that turnstile. And you can't carry baggage through it. Well, you've got to come the narrow way. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Amen. But narrow is the gate. I am the way, Jesus said. Amen. I'm the truth and I'm the light. And no man comes unto God but by me. What does that do to all of these religions that deny Jesus Christ? You say, well, there's not many. Oh, now, wait a minute. You go to the Campbellites, a Christian denomination, you can't get into heaven with Christ. According to their doctrine, you've got to have one of them to baptize you. You can't have the redemption from Christ apart from their baptism. And every one of them have got something like that. Jesus said, I am the way. Nothing else. Nothing in my hand I bring. And once we've come to Christ on the cross, we must come to him continually. In his substitutionary death that he died on the cross. On the altar, the only altar with which we have to do, there is the altar. Any other altar is sin. Amen. This thing, this thing, the mass, it's the most unholy, Amen. the most blasphemous diatribe of heresy and you know how many of our Baptists have been persecuted and murdered because they wouldn't attend the Mass? I've got pictures, I've got drawings, and I've got names, dates, and places where they said, either the Mass or we'll dispatch you right now. No Mass. Many of those Baptists as they were dragging them to be burned alive. Never a mass. No mass. I will not attend a mass. Would you say that if you knew it was going to get you killed? There been lots of them that did. Lots of them that did. You say, well, that never happened here. You don't know that. Matter of fact, the Lord says that there's many that are going to be killed just as they were. It may happen any time. Anyway, any other altar is sin. Any other altar is heresy. Any other altar is blasphemy. Amen. You see, we worship by faith, not by sight. People say, I, what, what kind of a sign can I get that I'm saved? None. 
You can't have a sign that you're saved. Well, I, I need to see something to prove that I'm saved. Am I saved, Brother Gunn? I don't know. <laughs> I've been asked that a lot. <clears throat> I don't know your heart. And I'll tell you this. If you don't know that you're saved, you better get something straight. Because Jesus teaches us in his word. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave, gave them me is greater than all. I and my father are one. Salvation is by faith. Amen. By grace through faith. Amen. And what is that faith? It's not just faith. The object of that faith is of supreme importance. What or who is the object of your faith? If Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his earned righteousness, and his finished work of redemption is not the object of your faith, you're not saved. Plain and simple. And what kind of signs do you get of that? None. It's by grace through faith. That it might be of grace and not of works. There are no signs for that. There are no things that you. Oh, I saw an angel sitting in a tree, and that proved to me I saved. Or I had I had a dream the other night, therefore I know I'm saved. Or I had I had a I had a whatever hangnail, and I got healed, therefore I know I'm saved. <laughs> Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not even by faith. It's through faith. We receive it through faith. We worship by faith and not by sight. That's why he told the woman at the well that God is spirit. And we must worship God in spirit. And truth. Now that doesn't mean we've got to hoop and holler. We must worship God as he is. And God, his essence, is spirit. He is spirit. And we must worship him in spirit. That means we can't have pictures, statues, hooping and hollering and anything else material. We don't worship God materially. We worship him in Spirit and in the truth. And his truth is his word. Amen. And that's the only kind of worship he receives. And we worship God not in a place. I love this place. This is where the Richmond Road Baptist Church meets. This is not a church. This building is not. It is a meeting house of the Richmond Road Baptist Church. This is where we meet. But our worship to God is not confined to a place. Amen. We worship God by faith and faith in Christ. Look at Isaiah 8 now close.
Well, this would be good for those uh, so-called tongue speakers. Look at verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. That's speaking in tongues. That's what they do. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now there's my finale to this message on the altar. We have an altar, but it's not right down here in the front of the church. If they speak not according to this word. Now what all have I done? I didn't just do this to badmouth some people. This is their writings. This is their stuff. Hundreds of millions. And they got a lot of, they got so much money they could buy me and sell me a million times. I'm not picking on them. I've had people, oh, you picking on them. How in the world am I picking on the biggest, the biggest religion in the world? It got no telling, maybe even trillions of dollars. You count all their property and everything they own? Well, they could, they could buy me and squash me in a heartbeat. Little old me, I'm picking on the big old Catholic church. Now, I'm not picking on them, I'm telling the truth about them. But I wanted you to see that so you will see the only place that this thing of an altar in a Baptist church could have come from. Because it did not come from the Bible. And if they speak not according to this law and this testimony, it's because there is no light in them. So that's a pretty bad condemnation. I didn't write that. <coughs> I'm not the author of that. I'm just telling you what God says. And if that doesn't apply, prove it to me. I believe it does apply. Praise God for the altar that Jesus Christ died on. And he had, has obtained eternal redemption by entering in there once for all. Amen. That's